got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Underbuskera, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Buck is spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow, he's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it! Ball game, East Tennessee State's going to leave on another... They got him, if he catches it, it's over, ball game! Touchdown, Jawan Stinson! 25 yards! J.J. German for the win! He got it! J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs! And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend! What's your name, man? You're handsome, you have the perfect amount of scruff, and you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, another exciting edition of Sandos and the Sidekick. A little slightly different version on Wednesday. We're going to talk to Kurt Bloom, had some uh, travel issues, so he couldn't quite join us today. We'll talk to him on Friday. He does the ESPN 3 call to Sanford Bulldogs. No radio for Sanford for the third straight season. Your thoughts, radio. I don't even Go ahead. No. (laughs) Nope. Nope. The medium is nope. slowly fading um, away. Uh, the uh, bad news for us. I, re- I really, I really can't. I can't tell you how upsetting it is because I'm not even gonna say his name, but the AD, uh, which you can look up if you don't know, and I certainly know who it is, but um, has tried to sell even uh, Dr. Sander when he was here that you know radio is a dying medium. Everybody needs to get rid of it at the center, and then Dr. Sander tried to think about doing that and the next thing you know we sign a you know 10 15 million dollar deal with van wagner so thinking probably not dead here uh img and them just poured uh i think i read this right they had poured over an extra 500 million dollars into uh, rights fees over the last couple where a majority of those are radio rights so i don't know where radio is dying apparently it's dying at sanford and is dead other than that the combined deal itself. Maybe I was reading the combined deal. That's how much money they had. I, I, I can't remember, but it was it was like half a billion dollars. Lots and lots. Uh, and that's probably what it was. The combined deal with all the properties that would make much more sense. But almost half a billion dollars they've got invested in all this stuff. So I, I don't think it's dying anytime soon. I, I've heard that forever that the, yeah. the radio station you know, is dying. It's yeah. just another. You know, FCC's gonna. Ch- you know, the FCC's actually talking about changing to where now the AMs can keep their sick you know the antiquated you've got to power down at night for no particular reason so the power stations in st louis and chicago and you know new orleans can rule the markets in new york city but that's just gone because everybody can use an app so they're talking about not letting them power down which would actually help most radio stations in what is not a dying field but there you go sam this is probably way more congratulations, yeah, pro, this is probably way more pros versus jays congratulations like sanford about, we like to talk about a lot of broadcasting related things in All that right. segment but I prefer calling games on radio, so I'm happy that it's not done. Oh, at least, at least I love here. radio. At least here. Yeah. Well, it, and, and the option for me is I either do radio or I do ESPN3, which, of course, you do a lot of uh, now uh, for a lot of our sports, but you're supposed to be – Call it down the middle. You're supposed to. And, and let's be honest, it's more still 60-40, and if you listen to a lot of other schools, it's 80-20. We try to get uh, as close as we can, and when I did for the half season, I did the ESPN3 for home games. I try to go 50-50. But I, I, you, I, I, yeah. Oh, I hate it. I hate, because I like, one, I've worked here so long, right? But yeah. but in general, I think you would agree with this. It's a little more 
fun to have sort of a rooting interest without being a pure fan on air, right? I mean, you work with those guys all the time. You're, we're close with all the athletes here. Then you got to put on a different face for ESPN3. But if you were just doing, the, like, the baseball broadcast, you would just be able to do that, you know, just as an ETSU broadcaster, how much more, I think, enjoyable it would be for you. You can get more creative on radio, too. Oh, more, yes. Yes, you have a lot more leeway. When you call a game 50-50, you got to kind of tread a line, right? And there's also images that can be seen by the person that's watching, so you're not describing as much. So you can't really paint the picture. It's much and more it's, of a play-by-play medium. And and, and this is going to sound weird because obviously corporate – I mean, we have everything sponsored in radio. I mean, I'm not trying to say we don't. But it is more commercialized and corporate-based in TV because of the look and everything that goes into it. Uh, where I think it's easier to work in just a quick 15-second reader and move on and and go. So, I, huge fan of radio. Clearly, that's a profession I did. What, how do we how do we get off? Clearly, a pros versus Jesus. It is. It is. Let me go there. <laughs> Anyways, got Kurt Bloom. Speaking of Kurt Bloom. Kurt Bloom. You got yes. me confused. Broadcasting audio. Yes, Kurt Bloom. Maybe Friday, right? All right, we got Kurt Bloom Friday. That's we how we Randy got Sanders on it. Coming up today. Oh, we got Randy. Can, can I finish? Oh yeah. I guess. Kind of, okay. Coming up on the show instead the of that, right? Yeah, okay. uh, Dave Casper is yes. going to join us. Men's soccer. Big coach. one last night. Big game Saturday. Keith Brake, uh, former Buccaneers Sports Network employee, obviously a good buddy of mine, and uh, works in Fargo, North Dakota for the flagship station, hosts the pre- and post-game show for North Dakota State. They are one of the two teams featured on College Game Day. They're taking on their arch nemesis, South Dakota one State. One three. This is a big one. So we'll talk about that on the Stats FCS as well, but we have uh, Keith Brake kind of leading into that. And now we've got Randy Sanders. This is Randy Sanders on your guy, Will Huzzy. Probably the biggest thing is consistency. And Will, it, it was nice to see him step up. He made some plays, did some nice things. Obviously, had to catch for a touchdown, which I can't remember when the last time we had a catch like that that kind of lifted everybody up. But, you know, he also had one right in, hit him right in the face on the sideline over there that he didn't catch. And, he, and we had another one in the second quarter when we were backed up. We had back-to-back drops by him and uh, Nate Atkins, who were two of the guys on the team with the best hands. The consistency is what we're still looking for, and, and it's nice to see him step up. It's nice to see him compete, but we still need him to be more consistent. Of course, the tie-in with Will Huzzy, College Game Day, NDSU, SDSU, Keith Bray coming later, Will Huzzy, Sports Center number one this past Saturday. Boom. Yeah, you rattled that off. Hey, Surprise. so Surprise. Yeah, the other thing I was going to say, I, I thought, you know, again, of course, Coach hasn't been here but a, a couple of years. The only other catch I could think of um, was a big fourth down catch at Colby Kelly had on one of those drives. I think it was Furman, Furman. to tie it at that point. Down that, like the eight the, yard line. Yeah, it was like down, fourth yeah. and eighteen or something. The, uh, because the other catch I came up with off the bat was actually against Sanford when we beat Sanford, which clearly Coach wasn't here. And it was the first catch that jumped out of my head, and then I had to think, oh wait a minute, Coach wasn't here. Of course it wasn't. But there was another one-handed grab earlier this year, which was Isaiah Wilson on the sideline, which was a big. Now it wasn't a touchdown; it wasn't a number one play. Sports Center clearly didn't have all that, but you know Isaiah Wilson, a, a, another freshman, true freshman as opposed to the redshirt and Huzzy, made a nice grab on ETSU sideline one-handed, uh, and actually got both feet in. You only need one in college. We got both feet down, and and I thought that kept the drive alive, and ETSU was able to score on that. But yeah, I don't think any question. Uh, the last since the, the the two years that coach has been there, that's been the the biggest catch. Consistency is what he stressed with Will Huzzy. Here's about the inconsistency offensively. It hasn't improved a whole lot. You know, we lost Braxton Richburg a few, you know, several weeks ago. Hopefully we're going to get him back pretty soon. We lose Isaiah Wilson in practice to a hamstring. Those guys are going to get better. You develop more continuity and, and everything as, as you're able to play together. Now, we've been fortunate to stay healthy in the offensive line or for the most part, tight ends have stayed healthy. Running backs have stayed healthy. Every year is a challenge. And this team, there's no 
question that Colin plays with this team is challenging at times. Will made the great catch the other night, but when was the last one? You know, when was the last time something uh, really just happened out of the ordinary that shouldn't happen? We got to try to develop that, and I'm trying to create that. But I, I told our uh, some of our coaches yesterday, we, we're going to have to start digging deep in the playbook, looking for trick plays, special plays, everything else, because we're running about all of them I know of right now. We've run a bunch of them. Some of them have worked pretty well. Some of them haven't worked as well. We're doing a lot of having to manufacture those plays. Not many of them are just being created on their own. I think oftentimes you have to dig a little bit deeper to come across the meaning or really significant sound bites with Randy Sanders. To me, there's a lot in that one. Pretty much just admitting that it is difficult to call plays for this offense sometimes because they're trying to do everything they can to jumpstart with creative type things and having to go off script with maybe trying to come up with some other plays that would possibly get this offense rolling in the right direction. But inconsistency on offense is certainly something that I think we've seen this year. And just going over, you know, we've figured out looking back in the record book that DTSU has scored more than 23 against Sanford just one time in the times that they have played. I think it's only six times in in the series history. So it's not like it's a huge sample size, but you look this year and ETSU since the shorter game, which is obviously one you're not going to count because it's against a lower division opponent that's still struggling. VMI, 31-24 in overtime. Austin P 20 points with that 20-14 win. Then just 10 points against Furman, 17 against Wofford, 13 against Chattanooga. So you look at 23, and if the question is, can ETSU top 23, they've only done that once against a Division One opponent this year, and it was 24 against VMI. So very interesting to hear Coach talk about some of the perhaps more in-depth insider type things that he doesn't usually give away but admitting that it's tough to call plays for this offense and obviously when you are used to having a lot of weapons like coach Sanders is and top level talent and then stepping into this situation where you're running into some roadblocks offensively it can be difficult I think the biggest thing is at the other stops if a one goes down there's a pretty good one or one a one b behind them you know maybe it, it it's not a true two you know, there's a lot of, especially at Florida State, most recently, they had a lot of guys that uh, athletically, and I would say at Tennessee as well, especially when they were almost wide receiver U there for a while. They had plenty of guys if somebody went down. Kentucky maybe had to be a little more creative, uh, just top to bottom with the roster. But but I think at ETSU, what he's discovering is ETSU still trying to build that depth. And if the ones go out, and there's plenty of ones that have been out, I mean, you're talking about obviously the quarterback position to start with. One's and two's out. Uh, one's well, yeah, one and two's out. You're looking at Braxton Richburg not being able to play for really since game three. You know, what's he going to mean? You know, Couch really hasn't developed the way they thought. Probably your most coming. talented receiver on the outside in Couch. The, maybe your number two in Cam Lewis the now gone. Best, yeah, and then you lose Cam Lewis. God, it's a great one. I wasn't even going to mention that. So uh, you look at all that, and I think it's easy to see. Plus, it's not like he still had fully implemented his whole system in one year because you had Austin Heron, then he's graduated. Now you almost have to start over with three new quarterbacks, right? Um, whether it's Weldon Thrasher or Trey Mitchell, and then you've got freshmen coming in. So it really wasn't, I guess Mitchell had been the only guy who had been left on the roster um, from last year that knew kind of what was going on. So you're really starting the offense process over. And so I think where you had Heron, who had seen a lot of snaps in college, really could digest a lot of things, they were able to progress the playbook. I think right now, just to do to some of the things we have said, and because of again what's going on at the quarterback position, that they're just not able to 
to move week to week to week as we saw. I think now there's still some new wrinkles every week and all that. But the other thing is that the receiving core uh, just seems really young, and, and I think that that's maybe not enough credit given to. Um, them being in the right spot as much as it is sometimes. Obviously, Trey Mitchell's got to make a throw when they are in the right spot. But there's a lot of times when Mitchell does make a throw, balls are being dropped. And there's times where I know after the game when I talk to the coaches and, and they've been able to break down the film and they go, oof, you know, one, the first half this kid really did everything he's supposed to do. He's in there. And then the second half, like, he's running wrong routes. And, you know, he's making – it made Trey look worse because they're not where they're supposed to be. So, I, I, I kind of feel where he's going. I also think Coach has been very honest for the most part in the last couple – at least the first two years with us. And I think he's just saying what I think everyone has seen. He's just probably said it. Dovetailing off of that, he talks about when was the last time we had a catch like Will Huzzies. Well – Let's take a step back. When was the last time ETSU was on the number one spot in Sports Center? Has that ever happened? Yes, it's happened a couple of times. A couple of times. Okay. Uh, I'm, I can think with of football. Oh, with football, that's a good question. Um, I want to say they were the last time I can remember them. One, I, I want to say was the the last game they ever played, and they went on game winning field goal. And just because of that, sure. I, I think they were on that. So it's been 16 years, mm-hmm. right? And granted, football wasn't a thing for 12 years. The larger point, regardless of the if the answer is you know last year or if it's 16 years ago, you can't count on those things. And I don't think that's what coach is trying to say. I think he maybe got a bit off script and off brand of what you need to do is make the catches that are there to be made. You know, you're going to have a great play here and there. You you can't expect to be number one on SportsCenter, right? That was an incredible effort by Will Huzzy, and we're not likely to see that again anytime soon. Uh, a catch that's not supposed to be made, quote-unquote, maybe that's a little bit more in between of what we're talking about, catches that should be made, and a Will Huzzy-type catch. Um, an Isaiah Wilson one is a good example because maybe it wasn't the big moment, maybe it wasn't the big situation, but it was a pretty impressive play. So I don't think Coach is saying that when is the last time that something like that happened? We need to have that happen more, and we rely on that. I don't think that's what he's saying, but I think it's somewhere in the middle of, look, make the easy catch because that should be a given, and go and make the ultra-spectacular number one on Sports Center catch. Kobe Kelly on that 4th and 18 maybe is a good example because that wasn't necessarily a spectacular catch, but to make that play in that situation was big. I, I, think, the, the, I think the ultimate point was it was one of the few times this year somebody made a play that got everybody excited. Sure. And sometimes making normal plays can get people excited because you, you build off that. And I think that's more way of saying, you know, you need a play to get your jump started. I, I think to the Ed Davis play. So Jared Folks injured, has to come out. Ed Davis, who's seen very little action, and nobody had stuffed the run yet for Chattanooga. And he comes up and, and really lays not just a big hit, but drives um, – the running back back and then celebrates and I mean run like an NFL guy he ran like 10 yards into Chattanooga's backfield and, and just was fired up and next thing you know the whole energy of the place built up I just don't think there's been enough of that and I think that's what he was ultimately getting to we haven't had enough of plays where we can just look and like okay that that guy made it's like Austin Herrick may be tucking them all running over somebody sure energizes the crowd it's not a great play he just made a play where everybody's like god that guy can so do it that's here a fair I point that's a very good that's a very fair point because I feel like last year's team had a lot of, I don't know if it was those plays or just a different energy, but it doesn't seem like that energy is there this year. Is it the plays? Is it the team? Uh, it, is it I, a little I, bit of both? I, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I, I think it's a little bit of both. And, you know, again, I think 
having some of the youth and guys that haven't been there done that. I think last year's just so different because of the story of them in the four or five years they put into the, the system and they were starting to see sort of fruits of their labors of things that nobody else had to go through. The freshmen and redshirt freshmen and even sophomores that are getting a lot of action right now really have no idea, you know. And so a lot of times, you know, they can't pay attention to what's going on. Like if the defense is sitting down and the offense is on there, a lot of those young guys can't pay attention because they're still trying to figure out, well, heck, what am I doing right here? That's fair. You know, what, what is, you know, and same thing, if the defense is making a play, you know, a lot of times you would see quick sort of huddles and then you would see the guys off the bench walk up to the sideline. There's a lot more kind of coaching, them, you know, game within a game going on right now but because of some of the stuff. But I think he. I think the ultimate point was we just need some plays that get everybody excited, and it was great that that got everybody excited. Ed Davis got excited. Clearly, the sixty-three yard run got people excited, but I think there's just not enough of those plays. Preview of Sanford. I was watching the Tennessee Tech game, up sixteen points on Tennessee Tech, like a minute thirty left in the game, and somehow or another Tennessee Tech finds a way to win. Went down the field, quarterback scrambles around, made a few plays. They go for two, make it, onside kick, get it, go back down and score again, and go for two and make it again. You know, end up winning it in double overtime. But Sanford's a very talented team, big physical, playing with a different quarterback. They lost some receivers on offense, so they're a little more run-oriented, but you know they're always going to throw it and do pretty well that way. Really, really big offensive line, you know, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, guys up there. Probably the biggest offensive line we'll, we'll see probably all year. Defensively, six of their eight guys in the front four are returning. Now, they lost a couple of good players, but the guys they got are, are still good players. Uh, got some experience in the secondary. So the, well, the linebackers are fairly new, but experience in the secondary. So seem to be getting better. Our schedule doesn't get any easier. We, we got a cowboy up and go play ball. Love that sound bite at the very end. Cowboy, cowboy up, up, baby. Go play ball. I want to put oh, that yeah. on the button. Uh, no, one of the buttons for our show. I have to make that a thing. Uh, we've got Let's go. that, but maybe this year's version that of that replaces cowboy it. up. Let's play a ball. Everyone wants to focus on the quarterback position, especially considering you had the all-time FCS passing leader in that position last year for Sanford Devlin Hodges. NFL starter. Of course, just, well, not anymore, unfortunately. That's all right. He's still starting back this week. Got to win. You can't take that win off the resume. Got the win last week against San Diego. So he is obviously in the position he is now because he did exceptional things at Sanford and has succeeded at the NFL level, which is great. Chris Oladokun is the one that's coming for him. Maybe a bit more of a dual-threat guy than Devlin Hodges. Now, it's not to say Hodges you was immobile. Funny. I, I don't I don't I don't think he is. I'm just looking at rushing yardage. He's already over Hodges last year. Now uh-huh. Hodges had three rushing touchdowns against the Bucks last season. So I, I think that neither one of them really run. Mm-hmm. The the difference is they both want to throw the football. I think the difference is um Oladokun has more top end speed than Hodges. But if you remember last year there were probably six rushes in the second half that Hodges was able to get away from folks and make plays. Um, that being said, neither one of them, it, it, they don't do what, what a lot of teams like. I'm uh, not talking Tyree Adams type. Right. Oh, okay. I understand. Understand. I'm understand. Like uh, yeah. They, 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 like they just, yeah. He, they, they, he will stand, cause I, and I just got done watching VMI. He will stand, 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 and then when finally he collapses, he will run. But he is still looking downfield to throw the ball. Like he, he really wants to chunk it uh, down the field. Now, it maybe even more than Hodges. I think Hodges was was a better decision maker, especially quickly. You know, because part of that deal, they're supposed to get rid of the football quicker. Oladokun does have a tendency to hold the ball, which means he needs to run the ball more. But boy, uh, uh, you can see 
just watching it that Oladokun really wants to chunk it down the field when he gets a chance. So maybe I'll just say quicker to run rather than dual threat. But he's already over the amount of rushing yards that Devlin Hodges had last year. He's got eight rushing touchdowns. And he also is thrown for 1,585 yards. Very good point by Coach Sanders. Last year, Devlin Hodges had like 4,300 passing yards. So Oladokun's probably going to get maybe a little bit over halfway there. But this is much more of a run-oriented team this year. Well, look at their time of possession. What is their time of possession? 38 minutes Sanford has not had the ball during games. Think about it. They only have 21 minutes and some change. Pretty incredible. So... I'm just going to go to limb and say, if you look at last year's stats, they were they were now again. Some of that offense is, is they they do throw it very quickly. What was it last year? Thirty two oh six for opponents, so they're still being out. Sure, and, and they but. will because of the style they they play. But that that's in that offense to have six less minutes or whatever it is, seven less minutes. That that's a huge difference and what they want to do because they don't mind, which I've never understood, but they don't mind giving up the ball quickly. But I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the defensive numbers because. You're asking that defense, which, again, was only playing about half the game, which is about normal. I mean, I'm granted, you'd like to have a better time possession for most teams, but they knew they were going to be behind the eight ball and be a few you know, a few minutes off from – but about half a game. Now they're playing literally almost three-quarters of a game. They're almost playing three full quarters on defense, and that's why you're seeing the defensive numbers, I, I think, be, be atrocious. The other thing, they're minus nine in turnovers right now. Mm. And, and so those are the few, and I go back to Hodges. Hodges was very quick, knew what he wanted to do. Clearly, a four-year starter knew exactly what to do with the football. There are times that Oladokun holds, and then things break down, and I think that's and they're not able to do things. But I, I think Hodges, if anything wasn't there early, he knew how to use his feet and go. But he got rid of the football a lot more. Oladokun does not get rid of the football near. Neither is Liam Welch. The few times I've seen him get snaps, neither one of them are the decision maker. And I think that's the biggest difference. I think both quarterbacks, heck. If you look at Sanford's roster, I think you got ten quarterbacks. I, you know, obviously you can't play ten quarterbacks, and Hodges play for you. So if you're like the ninth string quarterback, I'm just wondering, like, what what are you? You're just praying to get. I don't. I've never seen a team carry nine or ten quarterbacks. That's quite incredible to me. But the decision making for Hodges is the biggest difference in what last year Sanford was and this year's Sanford was because they've still got talented wide receivers. It's incredible to me how Sanford is three and four right now. How they lost both the VMI game and the Tennessee Tech game, both overtime contests. I mean, you look at the score going into the last two minutes against Tennessee Tech. Coach Sanders said Well, they did lose the defensive player of the year, didn't they? Or or, uh, if he wasn't, it was the year before, I'm on Gooden. Uh, He was a senior last year, but he was a a defensive player of the year one year of his four years. I don't care who's on the other side of the ball. If you're up 16 with two minutes left, you got to win that game. Uh, and then Tennessee Tech That's got fair. two touchdowns in a span of 47 seconds, tied it up, and two-point conversions, two two-point conversions to erase that deficit, and then ended up winning uh, in overtime was, on what I believe was a two-point conversion in that second overtime it to was, win 59-58. Which was a very bad pass and a great catch. Mm. Uh, now they've played three different overtime games this year, and they're one and two. They only beat the Citadel in overtime, lost to VMI. Four overtimes. Yeah, and the VMI game. Grant Clement's 56-yard field goal is time expired. I mean, yeah. it's incredible to lose both those games. And, and, and I think – I'm not trying to hammer Grant Clemens, but I think we, we've seen his numbers. And, and he he's probably the one that gives um, uh, uh, Ullman a run for his money for most field goals in a career and, and not having long-distance kicks and everything. So, so I, Grant Clemens actually has like six, seven attempts against ETSU, and he's like three for seven. And he hit the one to send – but he's clutch because he hit the one right to send it to overtime for VMI to beat ETSU, and he didn't hit the 
daggone 56-yarder to go to overtime and then end up beating Sanford. So even as as bad as he has been some during the uh, you know first three quarters of the game, apparently if you get Grant Clemens into the fourth quarter, he is a studly kicker. Youngstown State was their they, opening they loss of the them. year. 41-23 is how long. But it was worse than that. I no, think... no, 41-23 is time of possession. Oh, 41 minutes and 23 seconds is how long Youngstown State possessed the ball. It wasn't quite as bad against Furman, but obviously that was a one-sided affair as well, 58-14. to 14. That's, it's ama- that's the, the, the hatch attack, right? All they want to do is lead the nation in scoring. I mean, that's really all they want to do. They don't, they don't really care about any other stat. He just wants to he, – he's a true coach that believes in his system and he's a – totally bought into his to his own and the june jones and all that other stuff but he's very concerned and loves and loves to tout if you go read their media guide and everything that how many times his career they've been first in the nation and scoring <laughs> and offense and it doesn't say conference championships because i believe they have zero in every stop he's been they've yet to win a conference championship and i want to say he's only been the playoffs once in his entire career which is shocking i'd be interested to see and this may be part of your prep i'm not sure but how many big plays you love to talk about chunk plays of being 10 yards or more on the ground 15 yards or more in the air maybe even like mega big ultra plays Devin Wynn had three touchdowns of 60 or more yards in that Furman game three for one guy so you want me to do the uh, you know the opposite how many big plays are giving up yeah yeah correct the chunk plays yes. the deep, okay I might do that because Sanford is obviously defensively we know they've given up 55 and 59 45 58 I mean they've given up outrageous sums. So what gives? Is that, so is that the ultimate question? What gives? What, what ah, gives I like here? that. That's clever. Yeah. Okay. That's all I got. I'm we'll actually, talk, I'm actually shocked you gave me credit for no, being clever. I guess we'll break it down on uh, Friday with your guy, uh, Kurt Bloom, and then also yeah, our Yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk Kurt Bloom Sweet. about that. All right. Uh, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to give up my seat, get a water break. I'll come back talk to Keith Brake in segment three, Dave Casper uh, in segment two. Uh, Mike Gallagher's got that interview for you coming up here. Right after this time out from Sandham Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sidekick Jay steps aside for the time being, taking his place in the chair next to me is David Casper. Last night, his team a fantastic victory over Mercer in what was billed as a contest between a couple of teams that had a chance to win the regular season title, teams that will be dangerous in the postseason. The last three regular season titles have gone the way of either ETSU or Mercer last year. The Bears winning it the previous two seasons. It was the Bucks and a 2 nothing victory. And, Coach, before we talk about some of the other things I'd like to get to, just congratulations on the win last night. To me, all around, just having called the game, seeing it from my perspective, and I'd be, of course, very interested to hear yours. Very airtight. Didn't look like really a lot of holes on the pitch at all. No, I thought we were very good. Um, you know, give the guys a ton of credit. We we asked them to step up because it was a big game, and uh, they did a great job. And I thought, uh, 
you know, from the back, you know, Pezin goal, who who didn't have to do too much to be fair, but when he was called on was solid. You know, John and Merv in the back line, uh, center backs were good. Austin and, and Philip were good. And then in the attack, we were dangerous. You know, so I thought we really, we really controlled the game well. We asked them to control the midfield. I thought we did that. And then when we get forward, can we score chances? And we did. We took two, and, you know, that should be good enough to win most games. To me, the big task last night was stopping Trevor Martineau, who maybe the casual Southern Conference fan doesn't know the name of, but anyone that pays any attention to soccer at all looks at his resume through the first year and a half of his career in the SOCON, and quite honestly, you can probably match it up against any other player in SOCON history. Won the Freshman of the Year and the Player of the Year last year, first freshman to win the Southern Conference Player of the Year in 42 seasons. That says a lot, and then he's come out this year and uh, done even more fantastic things eight goals eight assists but he barely had the ball last night he did an excellent job of ball denial when he did get it it seemed like the back line center backs John Lucchese Merv Balumba did a fantastic job anything specifically you did to take him away or do they just have Trevor Martineau's number at the back <laughs> yeah I don't want to go and say that for sure because you know he Trevor's a good player you know he, he earned both awards last year for sure um, and this year he's he's actually out producing what he did last year you know so uh, he, he's a heck of a player, but, you know, we do also have two first-team all-conference center backs, you know, and um, they're good themselves, and it's, it's a heck of a matchup, you know, and it's gone favorably for us the last two times with those two guys, but, um, you know, Merv and John, they, they were good. I don't know that we did anything overly specific. You know, we did make sure that we didn't let him free and, and didn't give him space to operate, but, um, you know, I thought it was just a good team performance where we didn't let him affect the game, and and surrounded each other and defended t well together. Alka Andreas Fossen does his thing in the air. Just a glancing touch off his head off of Bradley Empson corner. For a moment, I thought that was Empson from the corner, curling yeah, one yeah. in, getting his first goal, but he gets his fourth assist. Alka Andreas Fossen, his seventh goal. He's now just one goal behind Trevor Martineau for tops in the league. And then Kieran Richards, um, I think maybe on the goal, he's a bit fortunate to have it fall to him, but then he shows his quality later in the contest. To me, the moment of the night, even though it didn't impact the final score, he comes in off the right side, just inside the 18 um, on a very tough, tight angle. He hits a rocket off the cross crossbar, which was curling back towards net, had already beaten J.R. DeRose, their keeper, and was really just a few inches from hitting off the crossbar, uh, deflecting yep. down and into the goal. That, that was one of the better strikes I've seen. I know you really like him. He picked up his fifth goal last night, second on the team in scoring, and it's clear to see after last night's performance, getting that second goal, which iced the game, and then the dangerous shot uh, laid on in the second half, why you do like him so much. Yeah, I mean, you know, starting with Hawk, you know, he's such a big guy. You know, he's he's a handful to to, to deal with, you know, and um, we, we, we call it the Hawk effect. He gets in the game and the other teams just have to pay so much attention to him. Uh, you know, he's good in the air. He's strong. He's physical, you know, and he's doing a good job, uh, especially lately, to hold the ball for us up. And, and when he does that, then we can get Kieran involved in the game. You know, and Kieran's a special player. He came – with such a big pedigree, uh, you know, U-17 national team for New Zealand, played in the World Cup, um, you know, and then he comes in for us. And, you know, one of the most amazing things about him is his engine. He just runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. The kid doesn't stop. And uh, and then on top of that, he's got quality for days, you know, and he can – he sees passes. He's creative. Uh, he can get himself out of tight spots. And then he's also a threat to score goals, right? He's got five on the season. And he had to miss, I think he missed three, four games as well this season already. So, you know, if he was available for some of those, you know, maybe he'd even have a few more at this point. 
uh, injuries, some we'll talk about in just a bit. I want to step away from this year's team and talk about your first couple of years here. I thought you did tremendously well last season to step in with maybe some holdovers from the squad before Nick Spielman, Serge Gomez, uh, Cam Woodfin, maybe from a different era, quote-unquote, of ETSU soccer, and you go 9-7-1, 4-1-1 in the league. You have a chance this year to put your hands and stamp more on this team. What was it like coming in that first season? It's a situation every first-year coach is in, right? You've got players that are used to doing things one way. You have to kind of adjust and create your own culture. Uh, as a first-time head coach, what was that experience like for you? It was tough. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I, I had good assistance, right? Josh Scott does a great job. So, you know, I think we, we work well together to, to, to figure things out. You know, so I give him a lot of credit for helping us get through this. But, um, you know, last year I came in with ideas that I wanted to try. And they were okay. And, but, you know, the guys, it just wasn't comfortable for them. So sure. last year we had to switch and, and make it into, you know, what, what, what do they are comfortable with? How do we get the most out of these guys versus the ideas that, you know, I think might work or might not? Um, you know, and when we made that adjustment about three games into the season last year, we went on a, a streak, you know, and um, it, it says a lot for the culture that was here, um, guys that worked hard and, and bought in. Um, but, you know, I think my style is a little different than the, you know, Bo who was here before. And, you know, culture is very, very big for me. And um, last year we, we had a decent culture. It was okay. Um, you know, but I think this year, you know, spending a lot of time in the spring with it and then and, and coming into this season, spending a lot of time on building, you know, a team, not just a whole bunch of individuals, but guys who care about each other and love each other and they're going to fight for each other and, and remembering it's not about you, it's about the group. And, and we've spent a lot of time on that. And there's still growing pains. We're not there, you know, but I do think if you see our guys right now, it's a really tight group. And um, obviously we go with ups and downs all the time, but you know, I think that is what makes us special here at ETSU. I think that's what will make us special going down the road is is having a group that's just going to be committed to each other, you know, no matter what. And, you know, we, we have to fight some things against top 25 teams that, you know, they have things that we don't have and so on and so forth. And that's mid-major, you know, athletics. Right. But I think the difference that will pull through for us is when we can get that team camaraderie and togetherness most of those top 25 teams don't have that. Sure. And I think that's what will help us get over that hump and push us into that top 25 in the near future. Now, I'm assuming that you didn't have any time to recruit your own guys when you came in because you were hired in like late March, and pretty much for that year, everything's kind of already done. Yeah. No, it, that, it was – we brought in a couple guys. Um, you know, a couple of them, to be fair, have, have been good players for us. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we brought in Mo, and he picked up an injury, you know, and uh, I think Mo's going to be a great player. We just haven't really gotten to see it yet. Um, you know, but it was tough. We didn't really have a lot of time. I had two weeks of, of spring season with the group. So, right. you know, I was really happy to learn their names by the, by the time the spring was over. You talk about, uh, and you're just building off that, you've, Talk about the culture and the type of person you're trying to bring in. Is there a type of athlete or person you recruit? I mean, you bring in 13 newcomers this year. That's a pretty big amount. Uh, we've talked about on the women's soccer side, Adam Sayers brought in 18. That's abnormally <laughs> high, right? But yeah. 13 is even on the high side. You usually are probably going to bring in 8, 9, 10. Yeah. But 13 is a lot. So did you go out and try and find guys that fit the culture or fit what you think is the right way to play on the pitch? How did that work? Yeah, I think – one of the things that we say all the time here is we want the right people, not necessarily the best people. Gotcha. Um, 
it, it, it you have to buy into the culture here. You have to be a good person. You know, it's not, I don't accept bad people. You know, you can't be selfish and be here. You know, and and there's growing up. I know young guys, and and we we you know it's it. Everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to be on the field. So, you know, there's growing pains of understanding what it takes to you know when I take you out of a game and what that means and. You know, so we're going through that process for sure. But absolutely, you know, we want good soccer players. We want good athletes. Um, but if, if they're not good people, they're, they're not going to be here. You know, we I strive to make sure that we have a full program here, which means good students, good good attitudes, good soccer players, and then guys who are going to be committed to the community as well. Because uh, one of the goals here for me at ETSU is to make a difference in Eastern Tennessee. Johnson City in particular, but how can we even expand that into Eastern Tennessee? You know, and in in doing that, we need to be good role models, good people, and guys that will represent the right things when we go into the community and do things out in the out and about, and and try to not only drum up interest, but how do we make soccer a bigger thing here in Eastern Tennessee? I imagine, and selfishly so, I'm sure this is frustrating at times, but that probably does take you out of the running for some of the top guys. Yeah. It, it can, it can, you know, but if you have guys who are talented but won't buy in, it's not going to work here. And, you know, again, being a mid-major school, you're fighting an uphill battle to start in recruiting, you know. So there's a certain aspect of guys that yeah, we will always fight for every guy that we can get, yeah. you know. And we lost a couple of big-time recruits this year to top programs where it came down to us in a, you know, a, a, a North Carolina. It was down to two schools. And, you know, sometimes we're going to lose those battles. Sometimes we're going to win. But, you know, that's we're going to be in the battles for top players. We, If you look at our group, we're talented. I mean, it's not like we're taking, you know, guys who can't play soccer. We right. are very talented. Yeah. But it's about the community. It's about the group. And if, we, if they don't understand that part, they're not going to fit in here. And, and then they're not going to perform the way they need to anyway. You know, and I think, you know, the turnover from last year to this year – you saw was we, we had a lot. We only graduated three seniors, right. but we had a whole bunch of guys transfer out. And I think what they understood was I wasn't changing who I was going to be, and they didn't want to conform to what we were asking them to conform to. You know, and, and that's okay. That's, that's not that these are bad guys. They're good guys, and, but we weren't on the same page. And, and they realized that, and to give them credit, they said this isn't what I want to do. And we split ways and, and went. But now we brought in guys who are who are buying into what we're doing, and you know give our give our older guys a lot of credit to to lead the younger guys in this regard. And um, you know I think it's been a f- hard year. You know being 500 at this point of the year means you've had a lot of ups and downs. But the guys have never stopped. They've never quit. They've never complained. You know we've had to fix some things here and there, just like always. But you know, as a group, they've been committed and working hard, and, you know, I give them a lot of credit for that. To your point about having top guys, I don't think it's just in the starting 11. You told me last night you haven't even been able to play your starting 11. You've wanted to this year because of, and you're not going to volunteer this and use it as an excuse, but I will. Injuries <laughs> have ravaged this team, yeah, really game in and game out. It seems like when you get one guy back, another goes down with injury. I just counted them up last night. I see Kieran Richards, Gilly Miller, Matias Unista, Bruno Andrade, uh, Joe Pickering, that's five of your top eight scorers that have missed at least two games with injury. Then John Lucchese, a captain, by yep. the way, at the back. You mentioned him, first-team all-conference defender. Lucas Leitner, who I know you're very high on at the top of the formation. And then uh, Austin Billmeyer is a guy that also didn't play two games. So you've yep. got eight there, and that's, again, there's 11 on the field. It's like eight, 
that have missed two or more games with injury. Have you ever seen something like this in a year? I mean, it seems like one thing after another. Uh, it's been hard, you know, and again, again, give the guys a ton of credit because it's been the next guy up, right? It's we, We've battled through, and, you know, like I said, we, we've got a lot of quality in this group, you know, and it's that's why some of these guys get frustrated that they don't play because they're they're good players, yeah. You know, and they ha- they've got to learn they got to earn their playing time and they've got to do it on the track practice field and and prove it every day and you know. But that's part of the growing up process. But it's been it's been hard. Um, but I've been really proud of the way we've responded. You know, again, I think we left. You know, I think we left something like four scholarships at home when we went to go play NC State, wow. and we dominated. <laughs> Dominate is not the right word. We we were in that game for sure. You know, the last twenty minutes we were the better team by a by a ton, and you know to come away, you know, with a one nothing result against you know you're disappointed in the result, but the performances have been have still been very good, and that goes to show how talented this group is and how commit again how committed they are to each other. You know, because the next guy is ready to go. The next guy is ready to step up and contribute and play. And and give his best effort. And at the end of the day, that's all we can ever ask for. Can you do your best? And when we do that, the chips fall where they fall, and we'll take the results, and we'll move on from there. You mentioned the NC State game. That was the middle of three of being shut out back-to-back-to-back matches against Kentucky, the Wolfpack, and then Furman. But then you explode for seven goals the last three. Do you think that playing that level of competition, and I know it's it's one you like to play. You like to have yep. those top opponents yep. on your schedule. Do you think that – has helped the guys figure out even when bodies are sliding in and out of the lineup what they need to do to get on the board consistently well it's, it shows you what that level's like you know if, if we play if we play at our level all the time then you get complacent right you know and, and so we try to test our guys we try to play the top teams in the country I think it's important to put ourselves out there and, and what you learn in those games is how fast you have to be and not physically but you have to think you have to move you have to play quicker you have, your decisions have to be faster and and I do think that's helped us in these games recently because you know you go through those type of games where the tempo is ratcheted up and we haven't slowed down since then our speed of play has been faster everything has been quicker everything has been a little bit sharper um, you know and, and on top of that like that's why I told the guys going into those games this is why you come to UTC because we're going to play everybody like, I think I, I put a quote out there the other day. We're, we're going to play the top teams, and we're not going to back down. We're going to go give them a sh- good shot. And why? Because we can do it. You know, are, are we expected to win those games? Probably not. Can we win those games? Absolutely. You know, and if you saw, again, the Kentucky game, you know, to be fair, I thought we really limited them in terms of good scoring chances. You know, they had uh, they scored the one, obviously, and then I thought they had maybe one or two other good chances. You know, and we put ourselves in position to get a result in the game. We we didn't get a goal, you know, but we were close, you know. And then we played NC State, and yeah, we defended a little bit more, but we're on the road. We're we're down, like I said, I think four scholarships. So we're trying to hang in the game, you know. Other than their one goal they scored, they didn't have a real good chance, you know. And down the stretch, we had two, three legitimate chances to score. We just weren't able to put them on goal, unfortunately. And if we do, if we score that one, you know, I'll, I'd love our chances going into overtime at that point. And, you know, and, and, and that's, that's college soccer at the end of the day. Uh, there's, there's not a big margin between the top teams and, and the bottom teams. So, you know, why, why not go play them? Because at the end of the day, there's nothing to lose for us, everything to gain. 
and it prepares us so well to go into conference play where it's like, okay, you've played the best in the country. Who are you going to be afraid of now? And and that not only to mention it gives us other opportunities to make the NCAA tournament if we pick up results and so on and so forth. But, you know, we're, we're not going to back down. We'll play everybody. I don't care. You know, give us, give us your best shot. What I'd love to see is some of these teams actually have enough courage to come play us here, which, you know, I give Kentucky a lot of credit to do and, you know, but a lot of these big schools, they won't, they won't go on the road, you know, and uh, I, I take our chances against anybody at home for sure. So 2-0 last night over Mercer. You got another big one coming up this Saturday. UNCG, they lost last night to Furman 1-0. So that's their first conference loss. I know they've beaten Belmont, VMI, and Wofford previous to that. So they're now 3-1. and one. Your team 2-1. and one. Uh, No football at UNCG in the fall. Men's soccer is their big thing. Yep, yep. You know, that's always something that they're going to pour a lot of resources into, get a lot of extra attention. Uh Set this one up for us. Saturday night, 7 o'clock. Got to be there for the whiteout at Summers Taylor Stadium. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a big game. Um, you know, I think Chris has done a good job. And to be fair, he's uh, Chris Ritz, their head coach. You know, he, he took over the program two weeks before the season started. You know, I had two weeks of spring season. You know, so they definitely had some growing pains in their season. They're starting to find uh, some form right now. They're a good team. They're scoring some goals. Um you know, I think it's a, it's an important one for us. We we need to protect the home field. Um, you know, if we can pick up a result here and win out, you know, I think it guarantees us first or second in the conference, which will be big to get some rest going into the conference tournament. Um, you know, but it, it's a massive one. UNCG has always been a top program, like you said. They they should be they should be competing for the title, and they and they are right now. And this game will set up well. You know, again. Whoever loses, their chances of that regular season title are over, you know. And so we definitely need some support. We need some help from the fans. You know, the fans have been great all year. You know, the we have our student section there with the drums going, and it's really brought a good atmosphere. And um, you know, the more students that can come out and and be loud and be, you know, proud of what we've been doing, you know, we certainly appreciate that in the community. And um, you know, we're trying to continue to grow this place to be the top place to play college soccer. You know, we got a great facility, great stadium. The fans are great, you know, and we just need to continue to do well and produce and, and get a few more people out there. And all of a sudden, this is going to be a really intimidating place to come play soccer. Make sure to be there Saturday night, 7 p.m. It's a whiteout. UNCG visiting the Bucks. Key Southern Conference clash as we enter the second half of the Southern Conference regular season. Good luck, Coach. Thanks, Mike. Head Coach David Casper, ETSU Men's Soccer. Keith Brake from North Dakota State University joins Jay Sandoz when we're back on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Sanderson is at kick back with you as we get you set a little later on uh, today. We'll get you on the FCS Top 25 and no shock top of the pole. North Dakota State, big game against South Dakota State, arch rivals, and so big that college game day is going to be there. And we're talking our main man that has the connections with the North Dakota State Bison. 
He runs his own show called The Breakdown, 4 to 6. You can listen to that on Bison 1660 AM. I've been a guest on there many a times. And for folks that have really been a fan of ETSU Athletics, he worked for us for a long time, Keith Brake. And, Keith, thank you for taking the time today. And this is something not new to the Bisons, third time you guys have been on College Game Day. Yeah, this is uh, this is the first time we've been on College Game Day as the visitor. Uh, they came up here uh, a couple of different times uh, for North Dakota State football before I got here. Uh, and the, the Bison, definitely a, a well-known entity with ESPN. We've seen a lot of love for uh, redshirt freshman quarterback Trey Lance this year in particular. Uh, the new code green uniforms, the all-green look that people have been uh, pining for for, for years uh, made it on to gear up on game day last week. Uh, so so uh, definitely a known entity and uh, kind of feel like that, you know, if South Dakota State were hosting, say, Missouri State or even Northern Iowa, game day is probably not here. But because it's the Bison, because it's number one versus number three in the FCS, uh, that's that's the reason that, uh, that, that game day picked this matchup in Brookings this week. And the one thing about North Dakota State, and a lot of a lot of folks, you know, always talk about sort of sort of Alabama and now maybe Clemson getting there is the evil empire. But they don't. I don't think they hold a candle, really, to what uh, the last eight seasons have seen from North Dakota State. Not as a loss hard to come by, but a regular season loss especially hard to come by. Yeah, the funny thing is, since since I got here, uh, the Bison have only lost, I think it's three games, and two of those are to South Dakota State in the Dakota marker. Now, both seasons, uh, the, the South Dakota State has met a grisly fate in the playoffs, one time at the hand of NDSU uh, back in 2016. Then in 2017, they went to James Madison in the semifinals. They turned the ball over ten times in that game. And then last year, uh, the Bison got the win uh, in the regular season. And, and then blew them out in the semifinals on their way to Frisco as well. So I mean, we've kind of been the running joke that this game is maybe harder to win than the national championship itself because these two programs are so, so good. If NDSU weren't in South Dakota State's way, the Jackrabbits might have won a little bit more hardware than they have. But uh, they, they just happen to run up against one of the most dominant programs in, in all of college football, and the machine just keeps rolling. You know, last year they graduated 24 seniors, including their starting quarterback, Easton Stick, who's now with the L.A. Chargers, Darius Shepard, their top wide receivers with the Green Bay Packers, and these guys haven't missed a beat. I mean, they're still a top 10 offensive team, still an elite defensive team. Personally, I think they got the best defense in FCS football. Uh, they're just rolling right along with all these new players, all these names you've never heard, but the talent level has not dropped off. The coaching turnover has not impacted anything. It's been really, I've been blown away by what this team has done. They have certainly, to this point, exceeded expectations. I, I guess the the question I would have sometimes when you get that good, right? Fan bases because fan bases are fan bases. They they have to figure out something to be unhappy about. Is it a situation where if they don't win by forty five, that there are complaints and and gripes and moans coming in from the uh, faithful? We just ran into that this week, actually, when the Bison beat Missouri State twenty two to nothing. Um, uh, I know. I'm, I mean, we obviously we don't bet on on college sports, but the the line was forty. Uh, it was forty. I think it slid to forty two and a half uh, shortly before the game, and, uh, and that that kind of set the expectation that okay, the Bison are going to win this game forty nine to seven or something like that. Well, twenty two to nothing, still a dominant win. The Bison held the the Missouri State offense under two hundred and fifty yards, ran for two hundred and twenty, threw for two hundred and twenty more. 
and uh, folks were still wondering where the offense was. So uh, it, was, it was kind of funny to see that, especially after two weeks ago, they scored 46 against Northern Iowa. Uh, which is an even better team than Missouri State. So uh, I think maybe the Bison were, were a little bit sleepy, but they weren't as far away from scoring a, a big total or putting up a big total against Missouri State as, as people might want to think uh, when you only see 22 points against a team that has been shelled more than once this season. So, uh, yeah, I, you, you definitely you, you hit the nail on the head. Fans will find something to be concerned about. They will find some. That's okay. That's what fans do. That's uh, that's just kind of uh, that's just kind of the fa- the fact of life in in sports. Period. Not just college sports, but professional sports as well. And uh, the the team will move right along. And boy, I tell you, they come out and hit a couple big plays against South Dakota State this week, and everybody will forget about what happened at the Fargo Dome on Saturday. Let me ask you this, because there is a little bit of a tie. ETSU will be at North Dakota State in basketball. It'll be uh, in which the uh, second round of the FCS playoffs, and, and, of course, that'll be the first time in North Dakota State, unless something really crazy happens, will be the first time that they suit up in the playoffs. If I were to go to that game, and you know me very well, and we're talking to Keith Brake, uh, Keith, what would you think I would be impressed with with the atmosphere if I went to that game? would be a big part of it. Um, certainly, I, I do think the atmosphere for the playoff games, I, I, I hope people get up for the second round game. You know, sometimes those have been a little bit sleepy at, at times. Um, you know, I think last year in the quarterfinals for Colgate, uh, there was there was honestly uh, a little bit more blue than, than we're used to seeing. The blue is the color of the seats in the Fargo Dome. Um, there, there were some empties, and uh, the student section tends to file out pretty quickly uh, at, at halftime and, and not come back. So, uh, you know, the, the, I think you would be impressed by the atmosphere in the first half in particular. If we get a good game, I think you'll be uh, pr- really impressed. Uh, by by the the way that folks can get after it, but uh, you're you're looking at you know the quarterfinals, the semifinals. That's typically when uh, folks really start to get up for for North Dakota State football when it comes to the postseason. Uh, the Bison don't have a lot of great home opponents left. I think it's uh, South Dakota and Western Illinois in the regular season. So uh, playoffs are, are when folks are going to really get after it. Uh, maybe the most impressive thing though, Jay is the tailgate. For, I mean, for an FCS school to tailgate the way North Dakota State does, to go as hard as they do, is uh, it, it's pretty remarkable. And uh, I, I continue to be amazed by the amount of resources people put. I mean, there are RVs, there's a school bus, somebody decked out a van like the Mystery Machine from Scooby-Doo. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of amazing tailgating uh, 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 setups, tailgating rigs, uh, Everybody just goes all out for it, and, and it pays off in Frisco, too, where you get you know, 10,000, 12,000 people who uh, just, just want to come enjoy the party. I, I guess my question is because, you know, tailgating, obviously, come, come back to ETSU, been able to do it, but it seems yeah. like the, the south around this time, certainly still great weather. What is the temperature up there this weekend, although it's not a home game for you, but what is the temperature up there? Trees 
and I'm fortunate enough to live in an older neighborhood that maybe doesn't get the wind quite as bad, but you get out into West Fargo or, or west of the metro, and uh, the wind can get really howling. Uh, that's probably what it's going to be like in, in Brookings at, at tailgates um, when it comes uh, time to play. And they played a game earlier this year against Southern Illinois. Uh, they were playing at 40-mile-an-hour gusts. So uh, it's going to be in the elements uh, down at uh, Dana J. Dykehouse. They, they are the only team in the Dakotas with an outdoor stadium. Don't know why they did it that way, but that was their choice. Um, but uh, it's, it's going to be all right. And then next week is really when it's going to start to get cold. We're going to get down into the 30s. And uh, before you know it, we'll be down in the 20s. And, well, uh, uh, God willing, we won't have any days with uh, negative highs like we did last year. We're talking to Keith Brake uh, up in Fargo, North Dakota. Keith uh, runs a talk show, and the reason I mentioned that because uh, we followed this story for the main reason because Mike Gallagher's from Minnesota and played yes. some D3 baseball, and, and we were all over St. Thomas, a Division Three powerhouse, getting kicked out of their league, and now talking about getting in the Summit League. Just curious what the talk is up there about St. Thomas, number one, uh, maybe joining the Summit League, and then number two, would that change things at the FCS because, you know, the, the Missouri Valley, the Summit, there, there's like three leagues that put together to put one FCS league. Would there be a situation where there could be break off in two conferences as opposed to one? Uh, well, as of right now, St. Thomas is going to try to join the Pioneer Football League, which basically allows them to operate their football program as is when they transition up. Uh, so that avoids the, the critical mass because the Summit League is currently at five. Uh, just, just kind of the layout. You know, like you mentioned the conferences kind of amalgamated together to uh, uh, to, to form the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Um, the the Summit League is at five with the four Dakota schools and Western Illinois, North Dakota joins the Missouri Valley next year. The Missouri Valley Conference itself is at five with Northern Iowa, Southern Illinois, Illinois State, Missouri State, and Indiana State. And then Youngstown State from the Horizon League also has football in the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Uh, so if a league gets six, then that creates a situation where, okay, now you have enough for an automatic bid. Maybe there's some negotiating leverage where you break away and form your own football championship. Uh, I think the Summit League schools, as of right now, are trying to avoid that. And St. Thomas is going to, to apply for Pioneer Football League membership. Now, is that going to be the status quo forever? I don't know because it seems like the Missouri Valley schools are kind of putting football on the back burner a little bit, trying to focus more on basketball success and, and, and putting a lot of resources into basketball success while their football programs kind of languish. But uh, as far as the Summit League is concerned, everybody was on board with this. You know, for a long time, there were rumors that uh, Augustana, which is a school in the uh, the NSIC in Division Two, uh, the Northern Sun, uh, that they were going to join. And Augustana's in Sioux Falls, and there's a lot of Sioux Falls connections between the Summit League and uh, Augustana. You know, the league just moved its headquarters to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, so everybody thought that was kind of a foregone conclusion. This is a bit of a, a shift away from that because I don't think everybody was totally on board with Augustana, whether they will admit it or not. Uh, and St. Thomas, it being in St. Paul, being in the Twin Cities, being in a large metro that all of those other schools in the Dakotas and, and Omaha even, and even Denver uh, goes to for recruits, having the opportunity to play a road game there and, and get boots on the ground in a very direct way is going to be extremely beneficial to the Summit League. They also have uh, baseball and men's soccer, which the league needs as well. So I, I think overall St. Thomas is a, is a really good fit. Even though it's a private school, it's a large private school with a huge alumni base, and they certainly have ambition that matches uh, 
of the bigger public schools in the upper Midwest here in the Summit League. All right, two other quick questions for you because nobody cares, but probably me and you uh, even on this podcast. But what do they do with hockey then for St. Thomas? And then second question, how far are your Predators going to go this year? Uh, the Predators will go as far as Pecorino can take them. Uh, I mean, that's, that, I'll answer that one first because, uh, you know, Peter Laviolette, this is, this is his thing. He's hard on goalies. He was hard on goalies in Carolina. He was hard on goalies in Philadelphia. Remember, he ended Ilya Brzezgala's career. Uh, and, and that's a shame because Briz is a, is a, is a wonderful uh, personality, very entertaining individual to, to watch, uh, to play, and to, to listen to. Um, as far as St. Thomas hockey is concerned, uh, well, the WCHA is about to come apart. So because uh, the, most of the schools that used to be in the CCHA are trying to break away, and they're going to form their own conference. A lot of people believe they're going to try to revive the CCHA uh, because I think it's Bowling Green has the, the name rights to that conference still. Um, but and the, the Alaska schools are, are going to potentially you know, fold their hockey programs because of all the budget cuts that have gone on up there. Not sure if they can sustain it. Um, but I think St. Thomas probably going to try to join that new CCHA, for lack of a better term, you know, for lack of a better descriptor for that new conference that's coming. Um, if not, then I think they try to give it a go as an independent. They certainly have money to, to pump into facilities if, if that's the difference maker. Uh, but I think ultimately they, they will have little difficulty finding a conference home with so many other Minnesota schools looking for bus trips. All right, it's Keith Brake in Fargo, North Dakota. You can listen to him on Bison 660. It's 4 to 6, but that's central time, I guess I should tell you. If you're on the Eastern Standards 5, uh, 5 to 7 in Fargo, North Dakota. I look forward to seeing you, uh, I don't know, a month and a half or so. I'll be up there, buddy. <laughs> no doubt. All right, that's Keith. And matter of fact, how about this, Keith? We're coming from three days in Charleston, South Carolina, to fly straight oh. to Fargo. I don't. I don't even know how to pack for that. But I'll figure it out. Some, can, can you bring me some shellfish? Well, I guess it'd probably be stale. It'd probably be bad by the time it got here. So never mind. Yeah, <laughs> probably a bad idea. All right, that's Keith. Break. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, final segment. Santos sidekick. We'll take a look at the stats. FCS top twenty-five. After this time, after a word, Santos sidekick on the Bucket Air Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. Exciting week, uh, FCS Top 25, a huge climber in two weeks, but I'll let you do that. NDSU, a relatively quiet day at the top for the Bison. They post a shutout against Missouri State, but only 22 points offensively. Adam Cofield, a pair of touchdown runs, but this was a one-score game until the 548 mark of the fourth quarter when Cofield got his second. Does this show a bit of weakness from NDSU going into the SDSU game, Sandoz? 
No, absolutely not. My guess is is they tried to uh, run as little as possible, try to simplify everything. I mean, they played a quality opponent the week before in UNI and really just ran them out of the building. Uh, I did enjoy Keith Bray class segment where, uh, you know, that was my, like my lead question, how mad were the North Dakota State crazy fans that they only won by 22? And, of course, he was like, yes, we've been dealing with that, but they're fine. Just calm everybody down but when you win you know billion championships in a row you gotta find something to complain about james madison the dukes gave up the first three to william and mary but 38 of the final 45 for jmu two percy aggie obese one yard touchdown runs help extend the halftime lead to 21 to 3 ben Denucci, 250 yards and two scores 38 to 10 the final jmu has scored 37 points or more in every game since their seven point season opening loss to west virginia here's sdsu a 28-point second quarter for the Jackrabbits helped Jabor Gibbs and South Dakota State pass the Indiana State Sycamores. Pierre Strong, 17 carries, 144 yards to team with two touchdowns, 42-23. to The final six straight wins for the Jackrabbits after a season-opening loss to the undefeated University of Minnesota Golden Gophers, 28-21 to back on August 29th. This their 100th consecutive appearance in the FCS Stats Top 25. Like how I slipped in that University of Minnesota reference. I know you did. That, that you slipped it in or just blatantly put it in? Uh, blatantly and okay. yelled it, I guess. I kind of yeah. yelled it, too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number four, Weber State. The 2018 Stats FCS Jerry Rice Award recipient Josh Davis puts up the rushing performance of the season, I think, as Weber State pulls away from Northern Arizona in the second half. 34 carries, 328 yards, and four touchdowns. NAU had pulled within two before the Wildcats got the final three touchdowns of the game. Two of those coming from Chris Jackson, who ran the ball 22 times himself for 111 yards and three touchdowns. A dominant performance on the ground from Weber State, helping to offset Case Cookus and his 359 yards and four passing touchdowns. One of my favorite players. Case Cookus. Yeah. Number five, Villanova. The Wildcats of Iowa week to get things right after their two-touchdown loss to James Madison two weekends ago. They were the first ones to move up this week, up two spots number five as the top four stayed the same number six Kennesaw State staying at six the Owls they smack Presbyterian 55 to 10 only needed to throw the ball six times as they cruise to another easy victory likely because of the caliber of opponent and they get a second FCS program this week in North Alabama second year I should say FCS program this uh, North Alabama team and certainly I would think another easy victory for Kennesaw State as their schedule only gets easier and easier it seems like Sacramento State number seven this is the big one this week it was a showdown against number five Montana the week after Sac State had beaten Montana State who were a top 10 team at the time as well and yet again it's the Hornets continuing their crusade through the state of Montana in dominating fashion 49 to 22 the final quarterback Kevin Thompson six total touchdowns and over 400 total yards an eight spot jump and we patiently await the showdown between the top two in the big sky both top 10 teams Sacramento State and Weber State two weeks from now Sac State uh, four weeks ago was 35th Mm. then uh, just outside the top 25 three weeks ago at 26 I'm sorry three weeks ago they were 35 then they were 26 15 7 how about that climb monumental and And, and they have I mean, there's some quality, and it helps Very when you quality. play the, the the quality opponents and win pretty handily in some of those games. Illinois State number eight, the Redbirds struggling a bit with in-state foe Western Illinois this past week. It was 14 to seven, Illinois State going to the fourth, but James Robinson and Jeff Proctor, a rushing touchdown apiece in the final frame, allowed the number eight team this week to get their fifth win in six and also move up three spots in the poll. Montana State off this past week to try and right the ship after their 13-point loss to Sacramento State, and then Montana clinging on to the top 10, dropping five spots in the poll after that loss to Sacramento State. They are absolutely wreaking havoc 
on Montana's college football hopes uh, are Sacramento State. Number 11, UNI. Lots of early points in the Northern Iowa-South Dakota game. Five first-quarter touchdowns. Things slowed down in the second stanza, but then UNI came out firing in the third. Isaiah Weston, a couple of 50-plus-yard touchdowns right out of the locker room. He catches four balls, 189 yards, three touchdowns. Quite the day for him, and those third-quarter strikes helped UNI hold on. They move up three spots. Central Arkansas, your favorite squad, up one spot, the Bears, who gave up a nine-yard touchdown pass with 90 seconds left to opponent Northwestern State. The home team goes for two to try and steal this one against what was the number 13 team in the country, but the two-point pass by Northwestern State denied by Central Arkansas, 31-30 to the final. That's concerning for Central Arkansas because Northwestern State has no wins on the year and still without well, a win. And- and you look at the win that you talk about last year, the margin victory for ETSU, right? So far, all the wins, uh, single digits. Uh, you know, the, of course, the win Central West, Arkansas. Yeah, Central Arkansas. Sorry. So impressively, there. You know, they go to West Kentucky to win. She's going to be an FBS. I think you have to be happy about that. But an eight-point win against at Austin P. One-point win against Aberdeen Christian. A one-point win against Northwestern State, and they beat McNeese by nine. And, and uh, I think they scored in that Mc, uh, McNeese game. I think they scored actually in two minutes to go. That was actually a two-point game with two minutes to go. So they, they just seem to be, you know, it's hard to make fun of that because ETSU obviously did it all of last year. They just keep skinning by whenever they're able to pick up a win. The two losses, one's a why, again, I think you can wipe that off, but the nickel state throttling was a little shocking. Where do you stand on the being an underdog going for two but also being the home team going for two in a game like that? I've always been told if you're the away team, go for two to try to win it. If you're the home team, regardless I, of if you're underdog or favorite, you play for overtime. I think if you I think if you are not very good Which Northwestern State and they not, haven't won a game. Correct. I think you go for you have a better shot of winning that in a in a, a one shot, two point, three point uh, a two point play from the three yard line as opposed to trying to go toe-to-toe from the 25. So I, in that situation, I like to call. Even if you're, I mean, if you're, if you're a slight underdog, right, and, and there's not that much difference, like maybe you're only four or five-point underdog at home, then, yeah, I think you might be able to play it out. But I think if you're not winning a game and you're trying to do some things, I think that I think I would do that as well. Didn't work. They lost. Central Arkansas holding on by the skin of their teeth to avoid that embarrassment. Princeton. We knew about the defense of the top team in the Ivy League, but the offense blows up this week. 65 points on Brown, 34 of those in the second quarter. Kevin Davidson, the 6'4", 225-pound QB for Princeton, 379 yards and five touchdowns to keep the Tigers undefeated. They're up four spots this week. Furman at number 14, the Paladins taking a tumble down six spots after their decisive loss to Citadel last week. Did you end up going back and watching any of that game or no? I have not yet. Um, I just... uh I've watched so much Sanford, but uh, Friday morning. So I actually make a chart. I know it's way too much information, but I actually make a chart of games I'm going to watch during a week and plot out when I watch certain things. And so the Furman Citadel is my uh, – because Friday I usually watch games that don't really have anything to do with ETSU. And so I usually watch two games Friday, and they're usually league games, and that is one of the two I'm going to watch. So I've not yet. 27-10, to 10, Citadel the win. Not Furman, shocking, though. Number 14. This week, not shocking that Citadel won, or not shocking that not, you haven't watched it. N- well, not shocking I haven't watched right. it. Uh, also, not shocking I think Citadel won. I think ETSU. I think winning by seventeen on the road is shocking. Yes, the, I'll give you the margin, but and just looking at stats again, I haven't watched it. I'm guessing Citadel did what ETSU was able to do, which was stuff the run fairly easily early and forced uh, Furman doing what they don't want to do, which is come one dimensional and try to throw the football a lot without the. Um, sort of the, the element of surprise and, and keeping balance and all that. And then again, 
Granger's been a tendency just to chunk it up, and he's gotten lucky with a lot of throws, and, and, and maybe luck's not the right word. He's had players make great plays for him, and it could be just one of those situations where the percentage is just caught up with him. So Furman, number 14, we talked plenty about that game. Monday, you can listen on the Sanderson the Sidekick SoundCloud page or on iTunes. It's, I believe, episode number 136. Nichols, you just mentioned him, number 15, joining Furman in free fall. The Colonels shut out by Sam Houston State. Though, to be fair to the Colonels, down six spots this week. They see their Saturday opponent move into the top 25. Pretty evenly matched contest on paper coming in, considering the Bearcats were at home against Nichols. We'll get to Sam Houston in just a few moments. Towson, we had Tigers at number 13, now Tigers at number 16. These are the Towson Tigers moving back above 500 with a definitive performance. The better Flacco, at least I think, that being Tom. Six passing touchdowns this past week, while I'm not sure if Joe Flacco completed six passes at all for Denver. In this, uh, what was it? It was like a thirty to six loss to Kansas City without Patrick Mahomes. Is that right? It is, but you're I'm giving just, me the look that Tom Flacco well, no, may not be better than I, and Who loves Towson more than I do? And yeah, I'm just going. going yeah, I mean, no. the brothers won a Super Bowl. I'm just throwing it out there. Red, red, what if Tom wins a Super Bowl? Well, then I'll be fine with Tom. Tom will. Tom will clearly surplant. He's got to get out of Super college Bowl. first. Quarterbacks named Tom win Super Bowls. I totally agree with that. Number 16, Towson crushing Bucknell, 56-7, to seven, up two spots in this week's poll. Dartmouth, number 17, four spots north in the poll. The Big Green, the Ivy League, looks like a two-team affair. Still undefeated at 5-0. Dartmouth, four spots behind Princeton in the poll. 49-7, the destruction of Marist. Three different players throw for a touchdown for the winning team. Two different players run for one. A total team effort for Dartmouth. North Carolina A&T, down eight spots. North Carolina a&T went to overtime against Florida A&M. Noel Ruiz, a field goal for NCA and but Florida A&M, a 22-yard touchdown pass to Marcus Williams in overtime to win it, just like Sam Houston State. A statement win for Florida A&M. They are also into the poll. More coming on that. Delaware, number 19, hard-fought battle between the Blue Hens and New Hampshire. This was one of the two ranked matchups this week, number 22 versus number 24 at the time, and Delaware up five spots thanks to the victory. Only six second-half points between these two teams, but all of them coming from the foot of Jake Roth of the Blue Hens. Dewan Lee setting up the offense all night to get those field goals, 103 yards on the ground. A war of attrition won 16-10 by Delaware, which sent New Hampshire straight out of the pole. Here's Florida A&M at number 20, thanks to that win over North Carolina A&T. And here's Sam Houston State at number 21, thanks to that win over Nichols. UC Davis, number 22. They were up 26 going to the fourth quarter, but Southern Utah stormed out of the huddle heading to the fourth. They get two Jay Green Jr. touchdown runs and a Manny Burrs field goal to trim the deficit to eight, but they ran out of time. Another unconvincing result for the Aggies, who improved to 500, up one spot to number 22. My favorite FCS team this year, the Cinderella story continues. Central Connecticut State 52 Bryant 14 Aaron Winchester nearly 17 yards per carry 161 on the ground and two touchdowns who's my favorite last year I can't really remember but this year it's definitely Central Connecticut State at number 23 of course just that loss to who was it Eastern or Western Michigan I can't quite remember in that wild uh, dropped punt Eastern punt, Eastern Michigan Eastern Michigan that was with 15 seconds left Central Connecticut State would be undefeated if they had that win instead they lost that one but still have won every other of their seven contests this year Simo back in the poll after what you'd have to term a road upset of Jacksonville State who are down nine spots to number 25 this week. Simo 24, J-State 21. Zarek Cooper hit Ahmad Edwards with seven seconds left to make the final look closer than it actually was, but it didn't leave the Gamecocks enough time to overtake Simo. Daniel Santa Catarina, 
That's right. Santa Catarina, three passing touchdowns in the win. The two involved in this one at numbers 24, that being CMO, and number 25, that being Jacksonville State this week. And I don't think in the top 25 for once I have any complaints. I do not actually. Um, I, looking looking at everything the way it played out, I'm I'm a Voters huge fan of, of Sacramento State getting the. Sometimes Definitely. teams have to take a slow climb if you haven't really seen them a lot or they're not familiar to top 25. But the way they played, I think it's great they've done that. And of course, Central Connecticut State, their most famous uh, actor alum, uh, Kenny Johnson, the uh, actor on the Shield. I don't know, I, as I continue my Central Connecticut wow. State love, and Scott Pioli, <laughs> also Central Connecticut State alum. All right, there you go. Great facts. I'm just going to continue doing that as long as you're in top 25. Go. SEMO ahead of Jacksonville State, Florida A&M, and Sam Houston State move into the poll with their big wins over ranked team. Sacramento State up to number seven. The big takeaways, of course, for me, aside from my favorite non-FCS, uh, non-ETSU FCS team, Central Connecticut State being up to number 23. I think that the pollsters got them all right. This week, the big one. You just talked to Keith Brake about it. Game day at South Dakota State, number one versus number three, SDSU and NDSU. Number 16, Towson on the road at James Madison, who are, of course, number two in the country. Weber State at UC Davis. Give me the Wildcats big in that one. And Sam Houston State, another big test and a chance for another big upset against Central Arkansas, who, as you just mentioned in the poll at number 12, not looking very convincing themselves. Difference between them and and UC Davis, I think, this year is that they've found a way to win those close ones while UC Davis is now 4-4. Four and four. He has still the poll. And the question is, does Wofford or Chattanooga winner get any love from top 25 votes? Chattanooga's got the three losses. Of course, one's in Tennessee. And they've lost to two. And James Madison. Yeah, exactly. So do they get some love if they beat Wofford? And does Wofford make a full recovery of five straight wins at that point? That's what I'll be curious to see. Really pumped for that game. I am too, actually. I really am. I think Wofford wins. I think they do, too. But Chattanooga, I mean, all that really needs to happen is for Nick Tiana to start playing like he did last year. Here's the bad thing is Wofford has always been able to stop the run. Yeah, I know maybe this is not the greatest example of that, but uh, can Chattanooga run the ball as other teams have against Wofford? All right, Friday's episode, getting you set for the contest this week. Santa Sidekick, Buccaneer. Of course, that'd work. See ya.